to How Mom Made It. I'm Mary Goulet. And I'm Heather Ryder. And in this episode, we're chatting with a mom who is a beekeeper, a mom who is actually making it, making honey. Welcome to the show, Kimmy Pavlicek. Thank you for having me. Oh my gosh, we're so excited to have you on the show. And there aren't very many moms that we know that are actual beekeepers. So, wow. <laughs> but your story is... There's not many beekeepers out there. <laughs> no, they're not. But you know what? God bless you because we need more bees in the world. We do. They are hurting right now. Um, they are. Oh, it, you know, it's, it's, it's a sad story to, when you start really talking about... We, we're not going to get into the whole thing right now, but we do need more people like you in the world. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that. So what's a typical day for you? So um, so my hives, I have them spread out. I have them in Ramona and I also have them in Ranchita. So that's in the high desert of San Diego County. And um, typically every, I pick a day, I pick a day every two weeks and I alternate where, which group of hives I go check. I know I did have a rough one a few days ago where I actually lost two hives. Um, it happens. Uh, I think it was after the storm, they got an infestation and I just checked them two weeks before and I had to, I basically had to dispose of the whole hive oh. so it doesn't go infecting others. Um, but that's part of the process. It, it, that's what makes it hard where I don't use chemicals. There's certain um, pest management, so I use chemicals in order to, um, I guess, increase the likelihood of a hive surviving. Um, but I try to rely on, on nature in which the, the weak tend to not survive, but the strong do. And in most cases, the strong ones are the most aggressive. And that's how I got my the, the name of my brand, <laughs> um, which is go um, ahead <laughs> the Savage Beaches, um, because yeah, my my most aggressive are the ones who who last. You usually don't have sickness; they produce the most, but they but they're also vicious. They're very savage. Really? <laughs> <laughs> yes, they are. I love that. So, tell us about Mary was asking about your typical day. So you you tend the beehives like a couple of days a week. You say. Yes, yes. So um, I try not. I try to avoid opening up more than once every two weeks, right? So I alternate diff on different like locations and different groupings. I don't like in most places it is more efficient where they keep all their hives in one location. I don't do that because like I like my space. Um, I I like the row area, and so I treat my hives the same way where I keep them kind of protected from like. And within a bushy area from the wind, so to speak, and they're hidden a bit. And so there's almost like little neighborhoods that have them spread out on the various properties where we have their fairies located. So when you go, and, I'm sorry, I was going to ask you, when you go to tend them, do you get like a big hazmat suit on or something? <laughs> the big white beekeeper suit? <laughs> so, so let me tell you, so let me tell you, um, and that was, and that's the interesting thing, because you know, in the beginning, because you know, when you learn, and you have to learn from others, you know. And I, and I was very fortunate, which I had a few master beekeepers that I relied on to show me the way. And besides, also those old training programs and books, and you have some in which they did wear their suit, and then you had those in which they didn't. And so I kind of went in the middle where I was always lax. I was always very laid back on my suit. I put my suit on, but sometimes I won't put the hood, or sometimes I won't put the gloves. It all depends on which hive. I'm opening because they all have per different personalities based oh, on their queen. Oh, that's so interesting. 
And interesting enough, a lot of my hives have names. I name them after my friends. <laughs> I name them after my friends based on their personalities. And um, but the thing is, and then you get stung. It's part of the process, you know. But um, and most of the times, you know, I, I'll get I get it on my hands. I've gotten a few on my face. And but lately, um, some people develop a bit of uh, um, immunity to it. But I've been getting a lot worse. So I know my last thing, usually I'll get stung on my face and it'll just be like a bump and it'll be gone within like three days. But my last one, it was like on my temple. And this one, it was so bad. It was like, I looked like the sloth from the Goonies for like seven days. Oh, did it swell up? (laughs) Yeah, my whole face swelled up. Oh my gosh. And it was like, I couldn't even like, if I go in anywhere, you know, people look at you want to make assumptions <laughs> like what happened and it was just a really small thing and I was just like I'm and I'm reading it and they say some people is the opposite where you actually mm-hmm. like start building the toxins in your body so so now I'm a little more um uh I, I add a ritual to it where I have to make sure I'm really closed up um and there's no like openings where they could go in and get to my face and then I have long locks and so I use my locks, too, where it kind of protects my thighs so that when a few do get in, they get kind of tangled in my locks. <laughs> and and they're mad. You could hear, I hear them buzzing, and I'm like, well, that's what you get for trying to attack my face, right? But you're going to have to wait till I'm done. <laughs> that's funny. And that... it's a win-win because then they don't, they don't die because when they sting you, you know, it, they kill themselves. Mm-hmm. But now they just get stuck there, and then I'm done, and I just swing my locks around and they're free. Some of them still try to come after me, but most of them are just like, forget it, and they go back to their hives. So in the process of like tending the beehives and taking care of them and making sure that they're healthy and surviving and, and um, how do you actually process the honey and get it into jars? So we're going to be talking about Kemi's whole story because it's your story is very interesting to me. You've done a lot of different things. And But now you have an actual store in Old Town, San Diego, which is called Savage Beaches, which is after your honey, correct? Yes. And yes. so how do you, in the process of like after tending the hives and collecting and pulling the honeycomb out, how do you get it into the jars and, and, and onto shelves? Well, so, you know, you have... So you have your, your, when you, when we were smaller, you know, you're able to do like, uh, I call it like the crush method, um, the crush and strain method, where we take the frames out and then we basically scrape, scrape them into like a big pail that has like a, I call it a silk strainer. Mm-hmm. You get it that way. As you get bigger and then um, you have your regulations and, and health concerns. So now we have to take it to a processor. Okay. And so... We have to take it, we collect all the boxes, the frames, and then we take it, we have to take it to a processor. And then they use um, a machine where it uses like a, like, it's like uses centrifugal force. You, if they stick them in there and it spins, they still have to, you have to scrape up the top of the comb. Mm-hmm. And then that's how it drains. And, um, and then because of the band too, because here's the thing, bees are wonderful. Honeybees though aren't native to North America. You know, their purpose is purely agricultural. We still have our native bees. And those, unfortunately, are hurting more. So when you bring honeybees into an environment, it has an impact. Um, And so I generally, 
you could you could expand easily. Like if you have a healthy hive starting in the spring, summer, they start to expand. You could split them. So you go from one hive to two hives, maybe even three hives by the end of the summer. Um, that has an impact because they're eating the resources. You know, they're using the nectar and the pollen that they find. Now that also takes away from the native bees who are there. And honeybees are also more aggressive. So generally speaking, I prefer to partner with other beekeepers and farms instead of having too many hives in one location. Because I notice it. I, I can visually see it when, because you know, part of beekeeping, it's very relaxing. You, you have to know how to observe the environment and nature around you. And part of it is also seeing how it's impacting all the other native pollinators out there. And you can see that. What do, what, do you oh, see, yeah. what do you see when you're out there? It's so interesting. Well, you know, in the beginning, you know, when I only started off with um, four, and now well, I was 22 and I'm at 20, you know, I would notice, you know, your carpenter bees, your bumblebees. San Diego is just busting with so much variety of bees, you know. Even there was one which, like, is a neon green. And I would observe, and even sometimes, like, there's some weeds that I really hate. I think they're ugly. But I noticed certain bees preferred it, so I would let it grow. But then when I started expanding, I started realizing I don't see them as much anymore. Huh. And then I started digging a little bit, reading a little bit more, and I realized that it's a conflict, you know. And sometimes even growing more, um, what they call it, like having a pollinator garden, doesn't quite make up for it as much. So so that's where they ha- you have to just restrain how much honeybees you have in one location. I never would have known anything about this so much that's involved (laughs) and so how did you get started so we should backtrack a little bit now here because you are a navy veteran correct yeah yeah and you just recently retired is that right yes i retired last year Uh uh-huh how did you get started on this whole journey of beekeeping coming out of the navy Well, well um i've been doing it for um over five years now and so I always enjoy the outdoors. I'm not like, I'm not athletic, you know. I, I do like to walk a bit, but anything over three miles, I consider it torture. <laughs> but but I, I like to be outdoors. I like to plant trees. I like to observe, you know. And so we were already like, there was already like a piece of property that was on sale out in Ranchita. And it was such a good deal. It was it was trash. The, the whole property was like trash because it was out there. And people sometimes think stuff out there is just like Wild West. They do whatever. So they were trying to get rid of this property. And it was right next to the park in Zaburgo Desert State Park. And we're like, oh, my God, this place is beautiful. And so we started on the project. You know, it was like an outdoors ecotourism project, cleaning up. And I was intent on, like, planting various fruit-bearing trees that can handle the climate out there. But as we were cleaning up, I was just realizing even the desert is still a very sensitive ecosystem. Very sensitive. And so I changed it from planting trees instead of conserving what is naturally there and then adding the bees to it, but also limiting that as well. So it was just more of a balanced approach to um, our ecotourism project. And your ecotourism project out there, and, and for anyone who's listening um, who's not really familiar with the area of San Diego County, San Diego County is huge. And the area that you're talking about is Anza Borrego Desert, which is a protected area. It's a it's a park, and yeah. it's, a, it's a beautiful area. And where you are is Ranchita, which is a small uh, town outside of Anza Borrego. Yeah, we're basically neighbors. Okay, and then you and you 
it started a store out there that also for the ecotourism that you're talking about, you're in an area where there's a lot of hikers and bikers and people passing through, correct? Yeah. So the store, I didn't start the store. So the store kind of just fell in. I wouldn't say fell in a lot because we're already out there. You know, we drive past, you know, this is a small town. It has a single store, uh, the only commercial lot in town. We pass it on our way to go to our property to continue our project. And then, you know, I am always very concerned with community. It's a really big deal to me um, to understand your environment, including the people. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we follow, we have a group page and we heard the store, town store is about to close. I thought that was horrible. I was like, how do you have a town without no store, you yeah. know? And, um, and it's just, it's just the typical, the, the rural story of America. It's just, it's really hard to run a business in a rural community. Mm-hmm. Um, and we waited, you know, my husband, he's really big. He's good at sales. I'm awful at sales. He's good at sales. He, he knows how to think profit and loss. I'm more of a long-term impact thinker. And so we were discussing and he said, well, I mean, he said he could take it over for a little bit and see if we could bring it back up and running and then somehow let it go. Um, but we waited. Nobody in the community stood up, so we said, okay, we'll take it over. So we took it over in hopes of um, revamping it, revitalizing it. And, um, and you know, we were a bit naive because, you know, we, were, we still thought to ourselves because neither one of us are, are actual rural types. I grew up in Brooklyn, New York. He grew up in New Jersey. <laughs> you know? and, you're, and you're now out in the Anzaborego Desert area. I love it. Yes. I love it. Yes. But, I mean, it was still very naive because we're just like, how hard could it be? Just put stuff on the shelf, you know? Um, and it was actually really freaking difficult. It's so hard. We don't give enough props to just being a small business owner. Having a storefront is just so tiring. You're, you're up against everything, you know, the government, even the random people, crazies that come through, or people who don't like you, people who take, it's just really difficult. And you still got to make a profit. And um, we just, it was a, it was definitely a learning experience, but we figured it out. You know, we, we eventually felt like we, we got something because we were able to um, figure out where we were located, a major, loca- a really good location for Pacific Crest Show hikers, like people who start from the Mexican border to walk all the way to Canada. For fun. <laughs> I know th- this is longer than three miles. Remember that, Kimmy. <laughs> yes. yes, that was blowing my mind. That was blowing my mind. I'm like, you want to do that for fun? <laughs> and, um, yeah, and the store is at like the 100 mile marker, you know? And so we was like, man, if we could attract them and provide them the services, then income from that could help us keep the store running for the community. Because that's what it is. The community stuff is really small. It itself cannot sustain a store, but it still needs a store. There's a lot of, there's a lot of poverty. You know, there's a lot of people there who are stuck there. Mm-hmm. They don't have good transportation. They don't have access to food. And um, so it really became really important to me to keep this up and running. And that's how we kind of delved in. And it was going well. You know, we finally got our name out there. The outdoor community figured, um, realized who we were. They were really happy because we, we are. Because besides the hikers, you have cyclists. You have uh-huh. cyclists who yeah. like to ride their their um their bicycles down and up the grade. They call it a glass elevator. It's like a four thousand feet drop from us to Borrego Springs. So when they do that, they are thirsty as hell. <laughs> <laughs> and so they are just so happy. We're open, you know. And, you know, and then we kind of, you know, we added our own twist to it. You know, we add the twist of, you know, 
you know, we're not rural people, so we believe in you. You have space, you stuff it, you put it, anything, everything possible to take to take advantage of the space you have and then provide people feeling. For me, it was important for people to feel comfortable. Yes. The rural community, the rural area does not have a good reputation for some people in a diverse community. It just doesn't. And for me, it was important for people who come out there from the city to feel welcome, right? Mm-hmm. They walk in, they're like, man, this is definitely not what I was expecting, <laughs> you know? And it's funny, too, you have city people come in and they buy knives. They're like, what are you buying a knife for? <laughs> are you going to go wrestle some coyotes? <laughs> um, but it was fun. It was it was a great journey. And unfortunately, it did burn down in 2021. The store did. Um, and yeah, the store did. And that was, that was, oh my God, that was such a challenge. Because at the same time it burnt down, we found out my, our daughter was diagnosed with cancer. Oh I my cannot. Goodness. Yeah, it was like all within like, within a few weeks. Oh it was like the gosh. universe is trying to tell us something. But the one thing it did show us was the kindness and generosity of people. Uh-huh. I'm telling you, like everybody came together. It was like this small town in the middle of nowhere. Like what? 500 square feet space had everybody from across the globe, across the country, just donating because they didn't want us to go. Oh, wow. That's amazing. Yeah, it meant the world to us. It meant the world to us. And so um, that kind of showed you the importance of community. Mm-hmm. We always try to give back, do what we can, not only for like within the local, but other areas as well. And it meant a lot for us. And so that's how we continued. And now we have the opportunity to go to Old Town. That was also through a friend, Lost City's Beats. I'm giving her a shout out. Jenny, we love her. <laughs> and uh, she told us, like, yeah, there's a space there. You guys should totally take um, take advantage. And so our store in Old Town is a little bit different. It's a little more focused on our honey. Um, so besides the local variety, we also are bringing unique flavors from across the state. So tell us and, about uh, that. Also, yeah. Tell, like, um, what kind of honey and what kind of, when you say unique flavors, are you talking about like the pollinators that bring in the, the honey from different plants? How does that work? Yes. Yes. So, so that's the thing. A lot, most consumers don't know much about honey or mm-hmm. how it's made. You know, I'll be quite honest with you. When I tell people like honey is actually vomit, is bee vomit. They are they are like shocked. <laughs> well, you kind of did that to me just now. Mary's like, "What? You should see her face right now, Kemi." And she's like, "Huh? You might want to work on the branding of that message." <laughs> yeah, but and then, but then the other part is when they come in, it's like, "Oh, and you give them all these varieties because you know you collect them when you collect them. You collect it during when um, that that particular tree or shrub or flower is flowering, is blossoming." And then, then you could title it as that, whether it's wildflower, whether it's super bloom, which we always fortunate we had one, or you have your avocado, mm-hmm. a buckwheat. Now those they still taste like honey, but when you have them side to side, you could you could tell there's a subtle difference. But then there's other varieties in which it really blows you away. So the one we have featured now is metal foam, actually has like a marshmallow taste to it. Really, nothing added. Yeah, and if yeah, nothing out of is out of Oregon, and that's just how it tastes. So and we have. So the I'm bee, sorry, continue. Yeah, this is fascinating. I know. I mean, I I was into bees when the the movie came out for the kids to watch. Oh yes, 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 yes. Great man. 
Okay, so the bees in my garden are what kind of bees? The bees in your garden, could, you could have various types. You could have the native bees. Now, are they are they like are they a honeybee? Do they have have they stung you? Do they have like the stripes and stuff? I don't know. <laughs> She's not been to your garden, Mary. How is she supposed to know what bee is in your garden? I'm sorry, I ain't got those superpowers. <laughs> I, just, I just thought they were bees. We live in Encinitas, so she's she's wondering what bee is in her garden in the middle of Encinitas. It's probably I don't. There are so many different kinds I of bees. No there idea. are so many. San Diego has such a good a variety of bees. Period. Okay. So you can have any, but either way, whatever you're doing, they're coming. That's good. And keep doing it. Keep having those flowers, yep. those shrubs, those trees that's attracting them. It's good to have them. Oh, so I, what I'm kind of curious about, because with the Anzabrego Desert and your super bloom honey, what does that taste yeah. like? I'm just curious because, you know, everyone goes crazy about the super bloom. If you're from San Diego or San Diego County, when the deserts have the amazing. super bloom, it's amazing. Right? It's amazing. And it's and what's crazy, what's interesting too is it, it it's so it has such a variety. I know the first year I got I collected my super bloom honey, it was like clear. It was like clear honey, but it had like a really strong floral smell to it. Uh-huh. Um and then this year, this one that we just had, in which it, it didn't last long because then it got too hot quickly. But um, we have, we were able to collect some, and this one is a lot, is not as clear and is a bit sweeter. Interesting. So the climate impacts the honey as well. Like we could, we could have a hive, um, the same location, and each year it would have a diff, it would have a different color, and a different sweetness to it. It's just it's the climate, it's how the tree, how the nectar comes out, how the pollen is collected. It's so interesting because we just had. Um bees in our valve box for our water, you know, like in the ground, they, yeah. they collected in there. So we had to have mm-hmm. somebody come out and relocate them and they took them to their beehives. Yeah. And, but we, they, they gave us the honey out of it. And the honey was so interesting because it was not very sweet at all. It was really kind of savory. Yeah. Yeah. You have those, you have those, like for instance, the um, California buckwheat uh-huh. honey, it's a dark, it's a dark honey. But it's actually not that sweet. It's more nutty in flavor. Yeah. But it's also really good for you. Um, I know everybody talks about Manuka honey, but the buckwheat honey, it's local. It grows everywhere. Uh-huh. It has a higher nutritional content in antioxidants. Like the buckwheat honey is what I use for my hair and my skin. Really? Huh. Mm-hmm. Okay. So do in your store, do you have, is it honey? Do you have like products for your hair and skin, like made out of honey? <laughs> We, we, we're going to get to that. We haven't gotten to that yet, uh-huh. <laughs> that process yet, but we will. Cause I, I try to tell people, okay, you just take this. Like I was, I was explaining just yesterday to a customer like, yeah, I use this like a, in, like an in-between shampoo. Like it helps, it cleanses, but also adds your moisture, has your moisture and adds your vitamins back into your hair. And all you do is you just get the honey and then you add water to it. You add it to the, the consistency where it's not like sticky anymore, uh-huh. and then you scrub it in your hair. You let it sit for a little bit, and then you rinse it out. Really? Okay. When and when, you're every, done. when everybody was like on the whole like manuka honey's the cure all for everything, I yeah. literally smeared it all over my face and neck. <laughs> <I'm> thinking, <laughs> it's got to make me look younger. No, I mean, I mean, 
it, it will work because, okay, so Manuka, the thing with Manuka is like it's really high in antibacterial properties. Yeah, you can so use that's it on why I live in the medical field. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's really high in that. Now, the opposite, um, buckwheat honey is really high in antioxidants. So it's not as high antibacterial, but it's really high in antioxidants, right? Which I think is a little better for you when it comes to cosmetic um, uses. Okay, and so, so that's what I'm, yeah, I'm coming to your store. <laughs> Can we order? And we can order your. We can order the stuff online from you too. We can order can buckwheat o- honey from you online, right? You can order online, but it's always great to come in and then because we also we're gonna be starting our tasting, so we have some tastings, especially so that, so that people can see the taste the difference to you between what they consider as like your wildflower, your regular honey, and like a metal foam or something with a really distinct flavor to it. So are you going to be so, doing events around the tastings or are you just going to, when people come in, cause you're in old town, San Diego, there's a lot of tourism in that area. So are you going to be doing it, it for the people that are just shopping and tourists coming through? Well, yeah, the people who just come through, we have, it's just a simple tasting, but we do plan on having an event. Like I have uh, my friend out in Dudley's bakery out in Santa Isabel. I don't yeah, know if you course. heard of her, Lydia, w- wonderful human being. So and Me and her, bread. we were actually talking. Yeah, we're actually talking on on having an actual. I'm gonna call it like like an, a honey event where it's gonna be a full catered like um, honey used in, in food, and then go through the whole history of honey and the uses. Just something something for like a fun evening. That's so fun. Now, how are you enjoying opening your new store? <laughs> it's not easy. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so let me tell you. So <laughs> it's a lot of work. So it's a it's a lot of it's a lot of work. And two, you know, where we even if we're city people, we've kind of become country. You know, we've come a little a little um a little rural. And and then you go to the city, and the city has its own issues as well, uh-huh. right? Like I think the first week, like, we weren't open yet, but we were like we were um decorating. You know, we're cleaning up the space and everything. And a homeless person defecated outside our store. Oh. I know. We never had that happen to us in Ranchito. <laughs> a lot of other things, but not that. <laughs> yes. We never had that. So it's um it's, it's interesting to see on um, the different but one thing I do love is the old town community is so awesome. Like the old town chamber, awesome. It's like it you because you, you develop like a, a business ecosystem where you all kind of promote and look out for each other. That's the one thing we didn't quite have out there because we were like really the only store in town. You were the only business um, in Ranchita. <laughs> The only business are in Cheetah, but we did have our sister city, Borrego Springs, awesome community. We call them, that's like our city of aunties. We have all these aunties who always look out for us in neighboring town. So that kind of made up for it. Wow. Wow. And so now your store is officially open, right? So people can it's come and visit. Open. Uh-huh. And what's, yes, the, what's the website where people can find you too? Um, so you can find us on, it's, um, savagebeaches.boutique. Um, so that's the website where you can, you can order online and also it's, con- it's connected to our Instagram as well, in which we post, um, our new products, anything that we're featuring. All right. As we'll, well. We will be sure to have all of that also in the show notes on our page so that, that we'll have a link to your website and all of that. And, um, as we get here to the, we're closing out the, this episode, is there anything else you want to add about, like, for moms? We always like to talk about um, inspiration for other moms who have a dream. Your dream has kind of unfolded over the years and taken you in different directions that you probably never even thought of. 
Definitely not. I would have never thought I would be in Ranchita. <laughs> right? Out of Brooklyn and out yes. of the Navy in Ranchita. And now you're in Old Town, San Diego. What tip, what kind of advice do you have for moms out there who are listening or crazy like you? <laughs> I'm, I'm, so here's the thing. You value your tribe, right? I'm telling you, women, we're so awesome, have a such a great way of supporting each other. And I... I have my husband, Mike, he's amazing, but I also have this tribe of women, also mothers, and some of them not mothers, but they looked out for me and always will like, they are like my fiercest defenders. And I would not, I would have probably gave up a long time ago, a long time ago for them for that. So cherish your relationships, be a nice. good human being, look out for your community. You know, even if something is not wrong, it's, not, it's, it's wrong, you know, and then and speak out against it. If it's not going to be good for your community, if it has a negative impact on the kids and the families in your community. I love it. Hemi, thank you so much for being with us today. It's a fantastic Thank you story. so much for having me. It was lovely talking to you. Lovely talking to you, too. This is, That's Kemi Pavlicek, and she is the owner of Savage Beaches. You can find her in Old Town, San Diego. You're listening to How Mom Made It. It's us, Mary and Heather. Hi. The lawyers want you to know a few things about this podcast. First, it's for entertainment and education purposes only. And a few things about us. We're not doctors, psychiatrists, psychologists, counselors, financial advisors, or professional coaches. As Mary likes to say, we're just talkers. Always seek the advice of professionals. That's it. Thanks for listening.